Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, August 31st, 2020. On the show today, news and listener questions. In our main segment, Jim finishes up a story on Collie River Rapids that we started way back in 2016. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that pie is a real-time pie chart showing how much pie is left. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Oh, you had to bring a pie. Okay. I'm, I missed breakfast today. I'm so hungry. All right. <laughs> the thing is, I'm, I am the pie maker of the Hill family, especially when it comes to the big holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas. So my parents actually have in the corner of their yard, they have a high bush blueberry bush and a low bush blueberry bush. So because I'm the pie master, I'm also the one who has to pick the berries. And I was just in the yard last week, basically picking the last berries of the season. And I say the reason they were the last berries of the season, it was me and three rather irate grackles who were in the bush at the same time. <laughs> like, Move over, man. Move over. Hey, no, hey, that's not clear. What are you here. doing picking <laughs> our food? And it's like, okay, all right. You know, I don't need an Alfred Hitchcock moment here. You're, I'm done. All right. You know. <laughs> Look, I just, I need enough for a couple of pies. It's good. And they're like, pies? Pies? That's great. A little nature moment for you there, Jim. There you go. All right, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to all of our Bandcamp subscribers. I hope you all are enjoying our exclusive walks through the parks. And thanks to new subscribers, Adrian R., Christopher V., and Angie and Eva, and longtime subscribers, Beta Signy, our good friend Thomas G., and PMAC. Jim, these are the folks at Disney's Castaway Key who train the tropical fish in the lagoon to look natural while they swim around the guests as they snorkel in the water. You'd think that would involve a lot of training and treats, but Angie and Eva say that the fish come in every day knowing their lines and marks, and it's a joy to work with such professionals. Also, some of the fish are actually lobsters in great costumes. True story. <laughs> I want to be there for that day of training. It's a, no, no, no. The, the swim more casually, okay? And <laughs> no, no, no. Don't look, them, don't, don't look at them when you're swimming. Look, look, look straight ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I mentioned the uh, Castaway Key thing because uh, mm-hmm. I'm ready to go on a cruise. I'm so ready to go on a cruise. And I think uh, I think Disney might actually do something in late November or December. They keep pushing everything back, but mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if there wasn't a Thanksgiving cruise at this point. We'll see. Okay. All right. And speaking of that, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, Book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, Disney released park hours through November 7th, which shows all four parks still on reduced hours. So the Magic Kingdom is 9 to 7. The Studios is from 10 to 7, and those are an hour shorter than uh, summer. And Epcot and Animal Kingdom are two hours shorter, 11 to 7 for Epcot and 9 to 5 for Animal Kingdom. But Jim, Mm -hmm. I note that November 7th, which is the last date on which we have park hours is one day before November 8th and November 8th is the date in 2019 when the first very merry Christmas party happened in the magic kingdom. Hmm. Hmm. Now I'm not sure that anyone from Disney actually listens to this podcast and I'm going to pause here for laughter, (laughs) but I think Disney and universal have done things well enough since the reopening June that we can at least have a conversation about what a capacity limited hard ticket Christmas party event might look like in the parks. 
Speaking of which, though, did you see Governor DeSantis did a theme park roundtable earlier this week? And how and he, he said? He praised both Disney and Universal for the way they'd opened and yep. all the precautions they put in place and you yep. know the fact they brought so many employees back into work and wanted to see this continue. So, yeah, this is kind of tracking exactly the, along the ways you're thinking here. Well, the other thing is, is uh, didn't he uh, didn't he also say that he would be in favor of them increasing capacity a bit? Yeah, that he did. That he did. Interesting. All mm-hmm. right. So, so here's my point. Right, there can't be parades, mm-hmm. but why not a Christmas cavalcade? Like lots of people, including me, seem to think that these semi-spontaneous cavalcades are better than the longer parades. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not exactly the same, like close enough for 2020. And by the way. I will consider it a lost opportunity if we don't see someone do an Etsy shirt with a cavalcade float and the phrase close enough for 2020 on it. Like, guys, get on that. Someone, please. Yeah. (laughs) We could do the, I mean, we could do the free cookies and hot cocoa because they're Mm -hmm. takeaway items. You could just do designated areas around each spot as the place you go to eat them because we're already doing that, right? In in World Showcase, right? So we we could do that in Frontierland and Tomorrowland. I mean, there's enough space. And then I would like to point out the fake snow on Main Street, we should totally do that because everyone knows that's really very small soap bubbles. And we're in a pandemic, Jim. The more soap, the better, right? It would be a public health service. Doc McStuffins should run this. This is a genuine genius moment. No, that's exactly it. It's like, excuse me, could you make it snow again, please? I was just on a ride. <laughs> Why isn't that snowing in July? That's why I'm, I'm, I'm saying. Anyway, yeah. so, but I think we know we could do the live entertainment. You just mm. you put social distance markers on the ground. There'll be fewer people, people in the park anyway. Everyone would be safe. I think this is like totally doable. I think there's demand for it. Mm-hmm. And again, just from the merchandise opportunities perspective, like a, if Disney really wanted to try this, I think I would support it, Jim. I think you have hit upon something significant there with the dates we have. And now yeah. it's just watching and seeing what gets announced for November 8th. So Maybe not early November, but like, again, mm-hmm. if they wanted to do like 10 of them, mm-hmm. you know, starting in middle of November, they'd probably skip the week of Thanksgiving because crowds, or maybe not, who knows? Mm-hmm. They, could always, they could always move the Magic Kingdom hours to you know, eight to five, eight to four, whatever, mm-hmm. get everybody out of the park, start the Christmas party at six or whatever, and then have it done by 11. Right. That means totally doable. Anyway. Okay. It's an idea. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised to see a few. Let's put it that way. Okay. And again, close enough for 2020. If that's not the, if that's not the catchphrase for Christmas merchandise, I, um, I don't know what, what's wrong. Uh, I'm just wondering at this point, how many people pre-purchased and how you then accommodate the various folks who have pre-purchased. Well, I, don't, so I don't think Christmas party tickets went on sale. Really? Halloween party tickets did. Yeah, I don't think they sold Christmas party tickets. Ooh, okay. So, Ooh, all, right. all right. Suddenly, this is that much more doable. Okay, cool. I, so. I like this. All right. All right. Let's do some, uh, some listener questions and surveys that were sent in. First up from Sharon, who goes by the name The Hoodlum's Mom. Mm-hmm. Probably no therapy in the kid's future there. That's fine. We'll go with it. Sure. I'm sure it's a, I'm sure it's a term, term of endearment. Okay. Just like when my mom used to say, uh, you're such a disappointment. But, you know, with that motherly tone. There we go. You know, there anyway. we go. <laughs> anyway, Sharon says, I'm binge listening to every Jim Hill Media podcast, and I just heard your question about saving money in Walt Disney World. I had to share this. First, Walt Disney World rooms sleep four. We're a family of five. I can neither confirm nor deny ever sending a young hoodlum to sleep in the bathtub. We all know. Sharon, that the bathtub is the safest place 
in a hotel room in an emergency. So that's just that's just practicing good preparedness. Oh, good. Pre-tornado. That all right. I love this. Okay. Safety first, exactly. Yep. Second, anyone can pack cereal and granola bars for breakfast, but here at Hoodlum House, we know how to penny pinch with style. And again, let me just say, if Universal doesn't open a Halloween horror nights diner named Hoodlum House next year, again, missed opportunity, Jen. <laughs> Because <laughs> you know, you know that there's a there's a Waffle House knockoff or, or predecessor called Huddle House, right? There you just is. you just move a few letters around, Jim. We're there at Hoodlum House, right? There you go. <laughs> but if anyone who's ever been to Waffle House, it's like the smashed, bashed, crashed, hashed. <gasps> that for my good menu, what exactly would one do at Hoodlum House to hash browns? I, I shudder to think. <laughs> instead of uh, instead of smashed and covered, it'd be. Shivd and shanked. There we go. So. <laughs> Should we just pause this podcast and do the menu right now? <laughs> I, I am filling out the forms now, Len. Just so you, you keep going. All right. Anyway, Sharon writes, we stayed at Pop, and the day before our trip, we made roast chicken and potatoes, meatloaf and gravy, tacos, at least the meat and the toppings, and chili with biscuits. We packed it in Tupperware with tortillas, bread, paper plates, bowls, and so on. We stored all of it in the mini fridge, which, thank God, I played Tetris as a teenager. <laughs> For dinner each night of our trip, we chose a meal and carried everything we needed to the food court. There, we parked ourselves in an inside table, have we no shame, and brazenly plated our homemade food. The piece de resistance is that, yes, of course, we use the food court microwave ovens to heat our food. Why else would they put them there, right? <laughs> I'm loving the stories, the camaraderie, and the deep dives in the Disney destinations. Please keep them coming. Or Mr. Guard, share it. First of all, that menu sounds delightful, and I think we should all go to Sharon's house for dinner. Sharon, you you wouldn't happen to have a hibachi that traveled to Disney Springs? <laughs> Disney <would> Springs. <laughs> I'm just asking. You don't know, don't just... give her ideas, Jim. Don't give her ideas. Okay. All right. So. Th- this reminds me of the time that we, um, our statistician Steve Bloom, mm-hmm. carried an entire Thanksgiving dinner complete with pilgrim outfits. Into the Magic Kingdom and ate it on the second floor of the Main Street train station with a complete view of the castle in the background. We there were photos online. You should go look at it. Wow! With candelabra, I might add, because you know you got to keep it classy when you're when you're there. We went to the Leaky Cauldron, and they had just introduced a holiday feast meal. And no, go ahead. I'm doing my job, so it's like. We'd like to order the holiday feast meal, and then the surfer goes wide-eyed and says, hang on, and brings over a manager. And, sir, we'll be happy. You'll be the first customer to order this, and we're happy to bring it to you. You do Hold understand. On. Is it just you and Nancy? It's just me and Nancy. But it's for four, all right? And so, <laughs> okay. you know, and eventually, you know, they bring over this giant spread, and it's all lovely, and it's all delicious. But, yes, it, there's food for four, and we can't finish it. And so I asked, do you have any takeaway containers? And it's like, well, no, we don't, but we can go get them. And now we're carrying all of this food around with us inside of a diagon alley. And it was sort of like, go to a store, ask politely, they give us a bag to put it in. And then that became our central meal for our drive back up the eastern seaboard. And by the time we got back, it was like, I have had enough turkey. For the holiday meal going forward, I'm, I'm just going to be sticking with the, the plate of little mints. <laughs> When they say for four, it's like for four very hungry people oh, who yuck. who are apparently training for some sort of eating competition. Very much so. I mean, giant, giant, giant proportions. I mean, you get you get your value on it, though. So you do, you do. All right, let's do some quick surveys here, Jim. Laura sent in this one from DVC, which is still asking about how COVID 
is affecting vacation plans. So the two interesting questions here were, please rate your level of agreement with the following statements about Disney Vacation Club. And one uh, one of them, well, the four, the four statements were, it makes me feel like I'm a part of Disney. It prioritizes the health and safety of members. It makes me feel proud to be a member. And it provides high-quality vacations. And so hmm. that was interesting. So, so they're still asking about the health and safety. Hmm. The next question, though, was around how you plan to use your points or how, how your plans to use points have changed since early 2020. And the four options were, I already used all my points for the current year. I'm now going to bank some or all of the points I originally planned to use. My plans haven't changed. I was always planning to bank my points. Or my plans haven't changed. I'm still planning to use my points for the current year. So this is Disney trying to figure out for people who haven't made reservations, I think, mm-hmm. what they plan to do with those points. And I think, that, again, this is just capacity planning for Disney. What do you think? In a weird sort of way, this is Disney yelling into the void. Hello, it's still there. Hello, are you coming back? Yeah, I, I think Disney does do not want to do all those banked points for 2020 no. because that's just, no. yeah, no. that turns into a capacity problem again. Mm-hmm. All right, the, uh, the other interesting th- survey was sent in by Ryan. And this is unique in surveys and it's surprising. It's one of the most interesting surveys we've seen in a really long time and it's from Universal. And it starts off by asking if you've ever visited one of the central Florida theme parks. So the question is, is have you ever visited any of the following theme parks? And it lists, you know, SeaWorld and Legoland and Busch Gardens and mm-hmm. all the Disney and Universal parks. And if you say yes, you visited one of those theme parks, you started to get follow-up questions. And so here's an so Ryan said that he visited SeaWorld. And here's an example of the follow-up question that, that he got. What did you look forward to most when visiting SeaWorld Orlando? Spending time with family and friends, meeting the characters, eating novelty food, thrilling experiences, being immersed into different worlds, reliving memorable past experiences, or being entertained at shows. So Ryan happened to choose that he enjoyed being immersed in different worlds. And then Universal gave him this follow-up question. How much do you agree or disagree with the following statements? I enjoy rides more when I'm familiar with the storyline. Strongly agree, agree, neither agree nor disagree, disagree or strongly disagree. So Jim, this sounds an awful light like Universal is trying to gauge how Bob Chapex must put IP in the parks strategy might work now. You know, I think you've zeroed it. You know, and when you think about how Epic Universe has supposedly been paused, just interesting that they'd be asking this question now. And that's what I think. I think they're using this pause mm. in construction to suss out mm. the kinds and scope of attractions that they might build. I mean, that, that, there's a lot more interesting questions here. But, but remember, before the pause, mm. we had started to see some questions around the type and scope of attractions that people wanted to see. So for example, if you had a fixed dollar budget, mm-hmm. would you prefer more high quality, you know, fewer high quality attractions or more, you know, medium quality attractions. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, so I think these surveys that Universal sending out fits into that theme. So the next question that Ryan got was asked if he preferred one set of things over another. So quantity versus quality, all ages ride versus thrill rides, variety versus special concentration and so on. So it says this, Below, you'll find pairs of statements about theme park attractions. Using the scale below, and it's a seven-point scale, please select the position that best indicates which statement you prefer. 
And so the, the two statements here that you have to choose between are a high quantity of attractions in a theme park, so like a high number, mm-hmm. or high quality, a set of high quality attractions in a theme park, even if they're fewer. The next one is rides and attractions that are appealing to all ages or rides and attractions that appeal to thrill seekers. And then a variety of types of attractions or specialty attractions. And I think on this this last one, the specialty attractions, I think what they're meaning here is, would you like to see a lot of coasters, right? But doesn't it sound like here, Jim, that Universal is trying to determine the mix of attractions for the next park? Oh, absolutely. You know, you never write a survey unless you're looking for certain answers. And NBC Universal now has to answer to the folks at Comcast. And it's the whole notion of, we just got the survey back and it says, you know, high quality and thrill rides and specialty attractions. So we're right in the money with Epic Universe. So speaking of money, can you give us some? Yeah, I, I think there's going to be some back and forth there about how much money versus what sort of properties. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, in, go into that. Mm-hmm. So the next question that Ryan got was this. Which type of rides and attractions do you prefer at a theme park? Using the scale below, please select the position that best indicates the statement you prefer. And again, this is the same seven-point scale. Mm -hmm. And the two choices were high-speed thrilling rides and attractions or immersive scenic rides and attractions. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. The other one is rides and attractions that used enhanced simulation technology or rides and attractions that use physical scenic sets and props. So we all know Universal, let me pause here. We all know that Universal is uh, in, in their parks leans more heavily on screen-based attractions mm-hmm. than does Disney. And again, that's probably because of space, right? Yep. So here though, they're actually asking what people would prefer. So Jim, what is it, like six or 700 acres that Universal has? The problem is that the physical side of the park is only 100 to 150 acres. Then you have to factor in that hotel that's at the very back of the park and its parking lot coupled with back of the house. So yeah, 600 to 800 is about the ballpark. Because again, Hmm. they're holding some stuff back for future development. Uh, okay, but I, th- I think they're they're trying to figure out the trade off there between again. Well, I mean, it's obvious, right? They're asking the question: mm-hmm. screens versus physical sets. Mm-hmm. So the next uh, option there was: uh, Do you prefer rides and attractions that use physical environmental effects like air, fire, and water, or rides and attractions that use visual effects like holograms, virtual reality, or augmented reality? And that's really interesting because you could do more with those technologies, right? You can you you can update them. Mm-hmm. Right. It's very hard to update a physical element in an effect, but it's easier to do that. On the other hand, again, Universal's got this sort of reputation for using screens for things. And I wonder how much of that would play into it. Also, VR and augmented reality are still so new that the technology is oh, going to yeah. change every two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, just think about how we've gone from regular definition television to high def to 4K to now 5 or 8K. Hmm. Right. I mean, and so. While you can change the film or the visual effects that you show, the underlying projection technology is you're going to have to maintain that constantly. So that's super interesting. I agree. The next question was open-ended, and it was about the best theme park rides you've ever experienced. So the question is literally, what are the best three best rides you've ever experienced, and what is it about these specific rides that make it the best? And Universal says this could be at any theme park you've ever visited. So, Jim, I love the fact that they're asking you to, to name mm-hmm. your three best rides, but why, why are they asking what makes it the best ride? It's a free-form text field, so that means someone's actually got to read this. 
Yeah, but if we look at the questions that preceded this, you know, asking about quantity versus quality, physical mm-hmm. sets versus projection, now this is where the rubber hits the road. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. All right. So yeah. name a specific attraction and what it was that made you love that attraction. I'm more intrigued by the follow-up question here. <laughs> the follow-up question, of course, they just asked you about you know mm. the, your favorite attractions or the best attractions. The next question is, now we'd like to learn what you think are the three worst attractions you've ever experienced. Don't worry, you won't hurt our feelings if one of these rides is in our park. Mm. And what about these specific rides make it the worst? And I love that they're asking about the worst rides. So Jim, why are they asking about worst rides? Is this where we can talk freely about Fast and Furious Supercharged? <laughs> it's hold on. Let me let me let me let me uh, lower the cone of safety here while we uh, okay. While, while we talk. All right, go ahead. It's it's done. Go ahead. This attraction is two years, if that couple, couple few years old. Yeah, you know, and they shut down disaster. I mean, they they spent a lot of money to retool a pre-existing attraction at a physical plant within the park. And the fact that just recently when they announced that they were going to keep marquee attractions open, but they were going to do things like shut down Kang and Kodos Spinner and like Storm Spinner over at... yeah, at basically uh, Dumbo in the Mad Tea Party, they were the, were the, what they were, the, they're the Disney equivalents of what they were going to close down. But that's the thing. They closed down small little rides with low capacity. And, yeah, Dr. Doom's Freefall. And you know, yeah, Fast, Fast and Furious Supercharged, you know, which tells you right off the bat what the guest surveys say about that attraction. And this is a huge franchise for Universal. It's a huge franchise, and it's, it's, it occupies a huge chunk of it very valuable real estate, in it, literally in the middle of the park. Yeah, so yeah. that was such a colossal misfire, where, on the other hand, think about the loving terms that you just, just described, the, the Bourne Stuntacular. And yeah. can you name the last Bourne movie? Uh, Jason Bourne Goes to the Grocery Store? There we go. All right. He got it one, folks. You know, I mean, <laughs> you were still entertained by the show without really being plugged into the films. We're fast. I, 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 saw, I saw the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back when Matt Damon was barely bothering Jimmy Kimmel. I know. He, he, was, he was just out of puberty, I think, when, he, uh, when he did that first one. Yeah. Stop or I'll shoot. <laughs> Meanwhile, Fast and Furious, they, they just finished shooting two of them back to back. Nine drops this summer, if the theaters are open in 2021. And then yeah. the 10th one is 2022. And it's just, this is a huge IP for the company. And the fact that they shut it down, they pulled the plug. That's not a good story. No. It starts and ends for me with the right experience, which is just not um, memorable in any way. For me, the absolute best part of the entire ride experience mm-hmm. is, have you seen in the pre-show, they actually have live actors in the pre-show, you talk, you're pretending to talk with the characters. Mm-hmm. And in, right before you board in the last pre-show scene, there's a, uh, a team member mm-hmm. who does sort of like a Jungle Cruise skipper talking back to the pre-filmed video mm-hmm. clips of Festa. That's to me is the funniest part and the best part of the entire experience. <laughs> well, yeah. When you're doing that 150, 200 times a day, you, you get it down to a science. Of, what smart ass comment can I just slide oh, in and here? They do. You know? 
and and the timing is impeccable. Oh yeah, it's it's actually the funniest part and the best part of the entire experience. It's almost like Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Very for much pre-show. So. I mean, it, it is actually that. Mm-hmm. And I would I would be like, I, you know, I would just sit here and watch this kid talk for the next thirty minutes rather than go on the ride. Of, of anything out of the survey. I'd love to see the results of these two questions. Specifically, what is it about the worst ride? I would love, 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 love to see that. Yeah. Yep. So if anyone from Universal happens to have access mm-hmm. to some of that stuff. You know what the heck? We could just ask our own people. Ask our listeners to just uh, tweet us, uh, tweet the Disney Dish podcast, and tell us what your, what your favorite ride and least favorite ride are and why. We'll have to keep it to you know, a couple hundred characters, but go ahead and do that. By the way, Jim, the... Um, uh, the last time I rode uh, Fast and Furious, which was after the reopening, the the thing that made the ride bearable mm-hmm. was the fact that I was with a bunch of teenagers. So we're in three different groups of teenagers, but they all agreed mm-hmm. that they were going to pretend as if the ride was real. So remember, the uh, <laughs> in the ride, you're basically going to a party mm-hmm. when stuff happens during Fast and Furious. So mm-hmm. the, teen- the teenagers were like, okay. You know, we're going to go to a party and they were singing and dancing, like, you know, like waving their arms, like they're going to the party. And then the, um, you know, the, all the, the action started and they were like, you know, ah, the action, ah, you know, so they, they were, pre- so they were essentially additional actors in it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the, the best thing ever. It was, it was brilliant actually to play along with the whole thing. And I was like, we, we, and they didn't even coordinate it. I think they, we, we also, the, the group in front, in the very front of the mm-hmm. ride vehicles, started doing it. And then we were in the, my Laurel and I were in the next group and we're like, okay, this looks like fun. We're going to play along. Mm. And then the group behind us started to do the same thing. I'm like, it's that kind of spontaneity that made it great. For me, the only thing that possibly redeems that ride is if you can get to either the extreme right or the extreme left in like the front two cars, at least you can see what's going on. Oh yeah. Mind you, you keep getting water and smoke shot directly into your nostrils. But beyond that, you know, it's, it's, But that's it. You know, there's 30 people behind you going, what, what, there's, what's going what, on over there? What is this? What is this? Can yeah. we stop now? I've got to go to the bathroom anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Jim finishes up the history of Kali River Rapids that we started back on April 15th, 2016. We'll be right back. All right, Jim, way back in the middle of April, 2016, we started telling our listeners about the history of the Animal Kingdom's Kali River Rapids ride. And then, I don't know if we got distracted by that month by WrestleMania 32 or Drake dropping his song One Dance or what, but we never got around to finishing up that story. And we're going to do that now. So so where, where did we leave off? We left off where Disney was making the decision to go ahead with Animal Kingdom. This park was in the works as early as 1990. When we saw those initial announcements for the Disney decade, they mentioned that they were considering building a fourth park in Florida. The key idea was that while it was going to be competition for, say, SeaWorld Orlando or Busch Gardens Tampa, remember the early catchphrase for Disney's Animal Kingdom, Natazoo, that vaguely African-sounding word that really parsed out to, look, this park is not a zoo. In this case, the way Disney was going to differentiate that was to do what the company does best. It was going to do storytelling. So 
This came into sharp focus with the two live animal exhibit areas of the park. And this is how, when they were focus grouping it, I was lucky enough to to slide into one of the focus groups, actually two of the focus groups, that's how I got the recording, back in June of 93. And so when they described what was going to be built to the north of the park, was our two main attractions, the African and Asia Safari. The Africa Safari was originally known as Journey to Gorilla Valley. And remember how very, very early on, that's how Pangani was described. It was Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail. Right. That was the original name of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then after about a year, they changed it to Pangani, oh, the, the Pangani Valley, Pangani Village. I, f- I forget the exact name that it goes under now, but they found that there were a certain number of guests who were like, ah, oh, we don't want to see gorillas and would opt out. So, but on the other hand, we took the gorilla name out. They'd go and check out the other area. On the other hand, for Asia, the attraction was going to be called Tiger River Rapids. And they go on to describe that both safaris are outdoor adventures with real animals. And here's the important part, dealing with real issues. In Africa, mm. we're exposed to the poaching of wild animals, while in Asia, we're dealing with deforestation. And when they were doing the soft opening of Animal Kingdom in the late winter, early spring of 98, um, you know, they had the whole big red, you know, the, the giant dead plastic elephant by the side of the road. Right. The idea of poaching elephants was sort of interwoven throughout the entire Kilimanjaro Safari's mm-hmm. experience. And that was the ultimate visual aid. That was Bambi's mom. You know, the whole idea was to nail home that there's a reason we have to want it to save little red because we can see the mama elephant off in the high grass. And it's clear that from what we can see, her tusks have been sawn off and it's a horrible image. And remember, this was cast members and their friends that were doing the soft opening and they were like, oh my God, that was terrible. We never got over that for the ride. And so by the time the park opened, April 22nd, 1998, mama elephant was off the savannah. In fact, she was backstage thrown behind one of the show buildings. And and I remember talking with cast members working at the park because they were still staffing up. By the time they opened Asia in March of 99, they went from having 3,000 cast members assigned to the park to 4,000. And every one of them would have the same experience. You know, okay, I'm driving backstage. I'm going to park my car. And oh, my God, there's a giant dead elephant by the side of the road. <laughs> Does anyone else see this? What the hell happened? <laughs> and But the thing is that eventually, people, because it was just there forever, they got blasé about it. And it just affected, oh, you want to go to Conservation Station? Okay, hang a right out here, take the perimeter road. When you see the big dead by my elephant, take your next right. <laughs> it became a landmark. Yeah, so they softened the poaching storyline when they took a mom a plastic elephant out of the, the savannah. Conversely, though, when it came to the deforestation thing, uh, well, again, mm-hmm. back to the uh, the, the, the focus group narration, the Asian safari, Tiger River Rapids, is completely different from the African safari. It's a river raft adventure. The Asia safari take guests upriver on a flexible river raft deep into the heart of the pristine rainforest. Exotic wildlife from Southeast Asia, leopards, orangutans, rhinoceroses, monkeys, and elephants live along the banks of the river amid towering trees and tumbling waterfalls. All right, so I'm going to pause there. So the original idea was that you would see animals? 
Absolutely, you would see animals. Ah. Not only that, but there's early concept art for when this park was known as Disney's Wild Animal Kingdom. And you can actually see the rectangular yellow rafts that were going to be used for this version of the attraction. And much like Kilimanjaro Safari, there was going to be an onboard cast member who would serve as the narrator who would point out animals on either banks, but they'd also pilot the boat. And remember, and you saw the language there. Well, you went upriver. You went against the current. And that was supposedly yet another barrier that would prevent the animals from swimming out and eating you. Oh, look at that. It, it, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is way more elaborate. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at the concept art, and one of the pieces of concept art involving mm-hmm. monkeys kind of looks like that monkey exhibit, you know, with the, uh, with the water around it that you walk past right as you go into Collie River Rapids. And that's the toughest part of the story because there are chunks of the original show that do survive in the 23 acre Asian area of Disney's animal kingdom. But let's press on a little bit with the original okay. description of the current. So again, you depart from a, a, a colorful Asian village. And by the way, you felt like Kali River Rapids was out of balance because you had this wonderful, elaborate queue that you know went on forever, and then you mm-hmm. had this relatively short boat ride, this four and a half minute long experience, and it just seemed kind of out of whack that you had this. And I, by the way, I checked; it's five thousand square feet of queue space. Yeah, it's incredibly long, but it's one of my favorite queues. I mean, I thought oh, I would no, 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 stand no. in something that long, but. Yeah. So you leave from this colorful Asian village. Part of our journey takes us through the devastation created by careless logging of the fragile forest where erosion has created muddy rapids that threaten our raft. So finally, now we get to the thrill element. And that's supposedly where we go from fighting the current going upriver to now we go downriver. And we have our skillful pilot take us through the rapids. And we conclude in a place where man and animals seek to live together in harmony. And as the ride comes to an end, we see what was once a Maharaja's hunting palace, now the headquarters of Operation Tiger, a program for restoring rainforests and allowing tigers to live there once again. So, again, you were supposed to float by this hunting palace that had been abandoned for 150 years. And that's that's part of the Maharaja jungle truck. That's ultimately what happened here, that there was a decision made about these two elements have to be separated. One of the practical reasons that they opted not to do the float by was that, first of all, when it came to the tiger enclosure area, mm-hmm. the walls had to be at least 15 feet tall. There had to be overhangs of at least three feet out over the exhibit so the tigers couldn't climb over that. In fact, that's kind of what's behind the whole palace conceit. Oh, okay, okay. Because again, a palace has these sorts of cornices and it's a crumbling palace. It's been abandoned for 150 years. So you could make the walls lean in, which made it that much more difficult for the tigers to get on board. But the real thing that happened here, Len, remember, this focus group goes out in 1993. We have uh, Euro Disneyland opens in April of 1992. Just five months after the focus group was done for Disney's Animal Kingdom, the Euro Disney Resort reported a $901 million loss. And the very next month, there was actually talk of shutting down this $5 billion resort. Now, mind you, Frank Wells was able to sit down with the consortium of bankers that owned the notes, and they were able to do some debt restructuring and brought the project back from the brink. 
by March of 1994. But by now, the damage is done. Michael Eisner, who was talking in January about, geez, I, we may have to shut the park down. And it, he went from a guy who was willing to spend big money on parks to suddenly he is all about cost containment. And he turned around and ordered reductions in scope on every project that Imagineering had in the works at that time. And November of 93 is when This Is America gets announced. And, you know, the history park they're going to build in Haymarket, Virginia. That gets canceled in September of 94. Also, in the waning days of 1994, Eisner decides that the $3 billion Disney Resort expansion project, which would have included Westcott, the West Coast version of Epcot Center, that's too rich for his blood as well. Early 1994, Disney signs a letter of intent with Eitman, Eitman's? Eitman? Eitman. The amusement park ride production company based in, in Switzerland. It's ordered two whitewater raft rides. They invented the technology in, in 1980 and, you know, they're the masters of it now. So first one of these was supposed to be built uh, at Disney's America. It was going to be the Lewis and Clark Expedition Attraction. We've talked about mm. this previously. It was going to be featured yep. in the Native American section of the park. The second one, on the other hand was supposed to be installed in Westcott's Africa section, and it was going to take guests on a thrilling voyage down the fictitious Congo Beezy River. Okay, I love the name. I so love it's the interesting name that, uh, that the one for Disney America on the Lewis and Clark Expedition, you could sort of see that theme in the Grizzly River Rapids part of DCA. Totally. But then, in fact, but then the other one for Westcott's Africa is the one that ends up in, uh, in, in Animal Kingdom. That's interesting. No, I, absolutely. But Disney America, it's early 1995 now. Disney America and Westcott have both been canceled. Companies still on the hook to for those two whitewater raft ride systems. So senior management turns to the Imagineers who are working on, at that point, what's still called Disney's Wild Animal Kingdom, and okay. also the folks who've been tasked with coming up with ideas to replace Westcott. Disney's California Adventure idea wouldn't emerge till a design charade later that same summer, but they're mm -hmm. told, look, you find room in your park for an intimate whitewater raft ride. And as you mentioned, California Adventure, easy to do. That becomes Grizzly River Run. In fact, when they are doing the test for Grizzly River Run, at that time, the version of this attraction that was being considered for an Animal Kingdom was going to have two 10-foot drops. But okay. when they did the test for the Grizzly Ra River Rapid thing, they, they did the lower dro drop, and it's just, that's not nearly as exciting. That's You need a bigger drop. So as a direct result of the testing they've done on Grizzly River Run, that's why you have that huge drop going into the canyon section. They opted out of the two 10-foot long drops and opted for one single 30-foot drop, but that's where you get you know oh. hit with that wall of water. They turned to Joe Rohde and his team who were working on Animal Kingdom, and initially there's some pushback about this Edelman Whitewater Raft Ride because it's like, no, we were this is supposed to be like Kilimanjaro Safari. We're supposed to have a, a guy and we're supposed to tell a right. story. We're supposed to have past animals. And this is where Mouse House managers play hardball. And they point out, look, this is still early 1995. We haven't officially announced Disney's Animal Kingdom yet. And just in the past six months, we've canceled construction of two theme parks, you know, Disney's American Westcott. And if, if the Imagineers are working at Animal Kingdom really want to dig in their heels here, you know, Michael Eisner will be perfectly happy at this point to shut down development of a third theme park and save hmm. the company 600 to $800 million in construction fees. Yeah, okay. 
So the Imagineers blink. Not only that, they blink twice, Len, because at this point, Countdown to Extinction uh, Dinosaur is actually supposed to have a custom-built ride system. I don't know if you've seen where they've been lowering in those raptor statues into the yet-to-be-announced coaster that's being built over at Isles of Adventure. And Nothing to see here, folks. Move along. Very early on in the, the development of, of Countdown to Extinction, you were supposed to get attacked by three raptors, that one of which was actually supposed to jump on the hood of your car and you know, just sort of reach out to grab the folks who were in the front seat. But again, that involved a, a special rig and a special ride system that would allow yeah. you to do that. At this point, suddenly Disney is pushing back and it's like, you know, we need to shave $100 million off of the construction costs of Disney Animal Kingdom. And at that point, Indiana Jones Adventure had just opened in March of 95 at, at Disneyland Park. And the Imagineers were like, okay, I think we have a new ride system for our time rover. They went with that ride vehicle and hell, they went through the, the same track outlay just again to save money. Yep. The new Eidemann Whitewater Raft thing, it will allow for slowing down. It can't be stopped to look at animals. And I think that's that's the big problem, right? Of all the things that we've just talked about. Mm -hmm. The fact that you can't take pictures on the ride, oh, yeah. which is ostensibly supposed to be about animals, mm -hmm. is the big problem. Yeah. So now it becomes, it goes from an animal-based attraction to a basically botanical there is one tiger that the Imaginers did manage to slide into this thing. When you get to the top of that 90-foot-long conveyor belt that takes you up to the, the first, you know, the, they drop you in the river, uh, mm -hmm. there's a waterfall. And if you actually look closely at the waterfall, there's the snout of a tiger sticking out from the waterfall. The, 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 I didn't know that. Behind the water curtain there is like is an actual tiger. So there, there is, a, you know, a tiger in Kali River Rapids. But Kali is the Hindu goddess of the destroyer of evil. And okay. Tiger River Rapids had that name, Len, almost up to November of 98. They finished pouring the concrete. They're getting ready to begin soft opening of Asia, you know, letting the first guest into the Maharaja jungle trek as part of the holiday season. And somebody points out, it's like, there isn't really any, we're telling people it's Tiger River Rapids and they can't see any tigers. Right. That's going to be problematic. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, well, wait a minute. Kali is the goddess of destruction of, of evil. So, and, and if you think about the slash and burn sequence and how the, the jungle, you know, and you have that truck that's about to fall on the water and all that, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, maybe Kali has laid waste to the, the, the loggers. So let's, all right, we'll name it oh. Kali River Rapids. This is the toughest part of what's happened at Animal Kingdom over the years. I mean, remember back in 2012, we, we talked about Big Red and Little Red and how they actually pulled the poacher storyline out of the attraction? You're not saving Little Red. It's just, it, in fact, I think they kept the, the little baby elephant at, at the end for a while, and then even that disappeared. But in much the same way, uh, there were a lot of people who, when they got on Kali River Rapids and got to the the slash and burn forest and the fire smell and the smoke and and the actual physical fire effects, they'd get off the attraction. Well, that was kind of a bummer. I wanted to go on a fun boat ride, and you know, suddenly I've got an ecological message crammed in my face. So, starting in 2012, they turned off the fire effects. Which remember, there were 
four of them off to the right, four of them off to the left. And then there was that burning log, you know, that was directly over your head that was supposed to distract you from, this is where the 30 foot drop is, you know, and, and so you're looking up at that and then don't, you know, then suddenly tumble down into that Canyon. But all that got turned off back in 2012. And, Remember when you used to go up that 90-foot feeder ramp and through a cloud of mist and they made a big deal of how you could smell jasmine and all that? And Well, the uh, so the mist is still there, mm-hmm. but is the scent? I think the jasmine scent got turned off there about the same time that it got turned off inside of Mickey's Magic. that it turned out that uh, there were people allergic to it. Oh, right, right, right. If you look at the, the early stuff here, this would have been that much more impressive an attraction, but... Again, in right in the middle of building this park, word came down, look, we have to make cuts. We have to make changes. For Joe Rohde and his team, it's like, can we open this place? And it's like, yeah, we will. We have to live with the financial realities. And, and that's where we are today. Both the Africa and the Asia safari. In fact, from a touring plan's point of view, do, do you see those when you people talk about the parks? Are those now kind of thrown in the shadows next to... You know, Pandora and Expedition Everest, or well, the they're still on all of our touring plans, and mm-hmm. they're still highly rated. The reason why we're we're keeping them is, mm-hmm. as a smaller park, you need things to do besides the thrill rides. And and frankly, the other thing is, is it's called Animal Kingdom, so you should you should see the animals. Mm-hmm. I love both of them. In fact, on the uh, on the last Bandcamp exclusive podcast that we did. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if you've heard this one, but it's Laurel and I were going through the Maharaja Jungle Trek, and we we came across a three panel triptych. Yep, and it's one that Joe Rody had put in, or Joe Rody and the Imagineers mm-hmm. had put in that shows nature's wrath mm-hmm. when man tries to destroy the environment. And I won't spoil it because we actually try to figure out. Mm-hmm. We start reading the triptych left to right, and then mm-hmm. we realize that we were walking. The way that we were walking, we should have read the panels right to left. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's really interesting how we we figured it all out. It was a it was a great live unscripted moment in the uh, in the in the being kept exclusive episode. So go back and listen to it, folks, because it's really uh, really fun to to hear Laurel and I trying to figure out the meaning of the. Uh, Meaning of the three the three panels, and it was all done in it's all carved in wet plaster, so it oh. looks like it's been there for a thousand years. It's beautiful. It's so funny you you mentioned that because that that in part of the research for this, I neglected to talk a lot about the Maharaja's Jungle Trek, but they talked about how they brought in like fifth generation carvers to do all of this exquisite work. But the problem was that they had to explain to them it's like, look. This is supposed to have been abandoned for 150 years. So, yeah, so don't make it look great. <laughs> you, well, that, that's exactly. You had to tell these these artisans, okay, you, today you're making rubble. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this stuff looks great. We're just going to take a couple of chisels and some sandpaper to it right now. Okay, there you go. <laughs> And, and you have the interpreter probably having to make to interpret it like, yeah, they're just going to bust up your stuff. Go with it. <laughs> the only equivalent that comes to mind, it's like, you know, whenever you watch one of those Toho Godzilla movies and there's this wonderful recreation of Tokyo, you know, and somebody's clearly put months into building the downtown area. And it's like, okay, Bob, now go over and sit there. And the guy in the giant lizard suit's going to step on, you know, what you've been doing for the last <laughs> exactly. month. So, Look, we've just wired your, your life's work with some small explosives. It's going to be fine. <laughs> 
So there you have it. And again, I apologize that it took four years and four months to finally end this story. Thanks to friend of the podcast, Parody Kernan, who pointed out that, hey, by the way, you've left us hanging. And in my defense, I, I want to point out that George R.R. R. Martin has been promising to end his Lord of the Rings series for 10 years. These things take time. Yeah, I can uh, Justin Judy said it would be out in, in, in 2021. So knocking wood and, and we'll see. I'm just going to cough right now and say Avatar 2. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's regular show, photos from Disneyland. And we said we were going to do that this week, but we ended up with 300 more than we thought. So uh, this should be a hoot. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's working on a free virtual 3D walkthrough exhibit of Tiffany Glass with five windows, 19 lamps, and more than 100 pieces of opalescent flat glass and jewels at newportmansions.org now through December 31st. While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and radar show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.